Attention Greendale students and welcome to Streets Behind, a podcast about the TV show community. Hosted by two friends who met on campus but couldn't hang out during the pandemic. So we started this podcast to stay connected. And together we come up with so many insights about the show and the characters that we never would have thought of on our own. We know it's not perfect, but if it was, it wouldn't be Greendale. So join us. You're already You're already accepted. accepted. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. All right, I'll start it off in a second here. I'll pretend like we have millions of listeners and say like, hey, everybody, you know, or something. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Might as well. All right, ready? Yeah. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. Today, we are discussing season one, episode two of our beloved sitcom. I was going to say our beloved podcast. This is our podcast, (laughs) and hopefully it's beloved, but season one, episode two of our beloved sitcom community. The title of the episode was Spanish 101. And Sandy, before I kick it over to you, I just wanted to point out a couple... um, I guess, like major moments in this episode that, you know, are important not only to season one, but also to the show in general. So in essence, this is a group of people that got together to be a Spanish study group. And in this episode, Spanish 101, it's the first time you actually see them in Spanish class. So it's the first time you get to see the Spanish class, which means it's the first time you see Senior Chang. So introduction of a major character that has character development and story arcs that you cannot imagine based on season one episode two and as we go on in this pod we'll talk about how much the show changes and how much it becomes not about a group that's studying spanish and you know how senior chang's character changes but then just uh, a couple other things like there was a dean pelton morning message which becomes a sort of a trope in the show And it was also the first episode in which they did the full intro theme song with the, I love it, that art. I don't know what they're called, but those things you used to do as a kid where you folded a piece of paper and did the like. Yeah, it's like a a fortune teller or like a cootie catcher. (laughs) Exactly. That's probably so Midwestern. People are like, what? But yeah, no, a fortune teller. So, which I thought, which is like a great, it's a great idea and a great visual. So that's just a couple of the, um. Yeah, just kind of like general sort of big ticket items in terms of like firsts in the series or whatever. And then there was a couple things that I wanted to talk about, which we'll get to, but just to briefly sort of highlight them. There's a little bit of character development for particularly Britta Mm -hmm. and Jeff a little bit here and Pierce. And then um, hopefully we'll spend some time talking about the presentation that Pierce and Jeff do in the Spanish (laughs) class at the end of the episode, which is (laughs) controversial and hilarious, if I can say that. I I mean, it's just, it's funny and so wrong in so many ways. But anyways, that's a little, a little intro to what we'll be talking about today. But I just wanted to, yeah, welcome you back, Sandy. Thanks for being here. Thanks for talking about the show. Is there anything, uh, yeah, that sticks out to you sort of kind of general things about the show that you particularly liked about this episode? Well, I I also thought it was interesting that they kicked it off with the announcements from Dean Pelton, because this is only the second episode and already we're kind of seeing things that are going to recur 
in a lot of future episodes and become really like part of the fabric of the show. And like, not that many shows hit those things this early on. That, yes, that is a great way of putting it because I was, I was gonna, I was thinking of a way to like, kind of express that and I couldn't, but no, thank you. That's exactly it. A lot of shows, it takes a while for them to hit their stride. Yeah. And it takes a while for them to do character development before you get the tropes. And I feel like sometimes the tropes emerge from developing the character, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Whereas with somebody like Dean Pelton, the tropes kind of make the character. Mm-hmm. And, and with a lot of the characters in this show, which speaks to something we talked about in our last episode, there's like from the beginning already this whole like meta sort of thing happening, this or a self-awareness at least yes. of the show. But it is, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting thing that right away, this early in the season, you're getting the morning message from Dean Pelton and that becomes like a thing. In a way, it's like less character development driving the trope and tropes becoming part of how you get to know the character. It's just part of like the environment. And like, not only are they starting these things already, they're also commenting on them instantly. Like Dean Pelton says as part of the announcements that there might not be any point to them. And then Abed comments that it makes it seem like a TV show. So this is like episode two. They are not only like establishing this pattern, they're also immediately commenting on the pattern. It's so funny because, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you like recognize those two things because I'd forgot. I mean, even though we've just watched this to talk about it, I forgot that Abed says something about it. But I guess that's what I mean with that. Like, it's this immediate self-awareness meta quality mm-hmm. to the show. You know, it's always sort of discussing itself. And actually, yeah. to that point with with Abed, um, I wrote a note down here. I think it's Britta at some point. maybe it was around that same time it's early in the show but Britta tells Abed something or she says something like you know that tv and life are different right or something like that part of this conversation yeah okay all right so yeah that totally makes sense but again to your point it's like they are immediately in that space of making these you know, self-referential, self-aware kind of meta critiques of pop culture, the show, or meta commentary on the show. And it is one of the things that I think now watching it again with this lens, you do you do sort of become aware of the things that made you fall in love with the show. And it's it's this, it's like from the very beginning, it was, you know, funny in this self-aware meta commentary sort of way. And the whole like, a TV show talking about TV shows, referencing other TV shows. And one of the characters <laughs> has to sometimes be reminded that the two are different life and mm-hmm. TV. It's yeah, it's super interesting. And a weird, like a weird thing to be on network television in 2009. It is, it is. And I, I can't remember if we mentioned this in the first episode, but um, specifically I would say, 30 Rock and maybe Arrested Development. Mm-hmm. So Arrested Development a couple years before this. 30 Rock right about the same time. I mean, 30 yeah. Rock was either in its prime or getting towards the end, right when Community came out. Yeah, I think that, that first came out in like 2007, I want to say. Okay, so then it was yeah. like right in its prime then, like established yeah. and yeah. And so it's, there's other shows that do sort of like this meta commentary or kind of point to you know, things that are actually happening, but then also re- reference themselves as a TV show. I don't but know. But this one was like allowed to get weird right away, which is very cool. Yes. No, that's a great point. So it's like, it's kind of out there, 
But you're right. This show, what's amazing about it is it gets weird right away. And it gets weird in these very particular ways, often with the characters. And it gets, it crosses lines like early. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We talked about some of them in the previous episode. Um, You know, Pierce's sexual harassment of Shirley Mm -hmm. or whatever. And just like a lot of his character being like the like crazy old white guy who just like offends everybody. But I think that's a great way you put it is that this show like got weird early and was sort of allowed that space from the beginning. And you have to imagine it was sort of pitched in that way. Yeah. And I, I also loved that, you know, with the first introduction of senior Chang, we don't get introduced to a teacher and then find out that he might be a little bit unhinged. Like he announces himself as unhinged in like the first time he's on camera and it's it's just brilliantly acted. It's so good. So good. What a serious, inscrutable man I am. He's like yeah. fake stroking like a long beard. Um, but even but again, there's like that meta commentary. His introduction to the show is, as you say, like this is a crazy man who has Mm -hmm. been allowed to teach Spanish at this community college or whatever. Uh, Nobody's vetted him, but it's true. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, a similar parallel to Abed's difficulty separating life and fiction or Dean Pelton gets presented as this kind of weird bumbly voice. Who's like self-aware that maybe he's just in the way, you know, (laughs) even as a character in a sense. And this is another one of those things where character development doesn't drive the tropes or what it's like the plot drives the, or immediately is grounded in who this character is. Like it's already a developed character. Mm -hmm. This is a weird dude. (laughs) Yeah. It, it feels like, Dan Harmon and and the writers had a sense of why each of these characters ended up at Greendale. Yeah, no, it's so true. But in a way, don't you think like they'd almost had to be because why would all these characters be at this community college? You know, I mean, the fact that they're at a community college in Colorado, isn't it? Like, I mean, it's just Mm -hmm. like, it's so, I mean, it's like they had to have seen this. And to your point about Chang, and I'm kind of curious to hear you say more about this, but he's already presenting himself as like someone you should be leery of, right? Like you're not really confident in him as a teacher. You're pretty sure he's crazy. Um, But then even that sort of speech he gives, again, there's that very on the front foot commentary about the show. Um, Remember, we talked about in episode one, where the woman who works in the cafeteria comes up and says something to Jeff and Jeff is like, oh, sorry, I've been trained to think that all old black women are like, you know, a voice of wisdom sent from the cosmos (laughs) or something like that. And here Chang immediately is like, I know what you're thinking. Why does this Asian guy teach a Spanish class? You know, but I know what you're really thinking too is like, oh, he must be teaching this Spanish class because he's really like this sagely voice of ancient wisdom or something like that. (laughs) But it's just, I love the way they kind of walk that line. But again, here is a character that's saying like, it's uh, I can't explain it, but like they're almost calling out the tropes that you should be expecting of them. They do like, and they do this later on in the show where they kind of comment on the fact that they know that they're a diverse cast and that they know that that's exceptional. Um, so I feel like they, they do a lot of these things to kind of remind the viewer that 
this was not some like network executives idea of affirmative action to just construct a show around a diverse cast Hmm. and then make it work. They seem to be saying like, please don't think that's what this show is about. (laughs) No, that's funny. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. There is this way where they, the cast, and you get the sense that the actors themselves and the writers really want this to be something that you take from the show as it goes on. Is it to precisely your point? Like, please don't see these characters as token characters. Mm-hmm. Like we're aware of the diversity of the show, but we didn't want it in a token way. We wanted mm-hmm. it because it was a better reflection of you know life in America in the 21st century. It's a better reflection of reality, but also it allows us to then consciously deconstruct or whatever some mm-hmm. of these things. You know, it allows them to play with those things. Allows them to play with those things. So like the aforementioned, interaction between Jeff and the woman in the um, in the cafeteria or Chang's sort of self-commentary on what you as the student in this class must be thinking about why I look the way I do, but I'm teaching a Spanish class mm-hmm. is effectively what he's saying. But yeah, it's amazing. And again, to just go back to a point you were saying earlier, it's it's so true. Like this show was just allowed to do this, not just the weirdness, but all of this stuff early. And because they started at this degree of weirdness, it allows the show to get like mega way weird. Yeah, they don't I mean? stop here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this show gets weird in places. Like it, yeah. it, it arguably becomes like a sci-fi sitcom at some point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like really, like you start getting the different dimensions and stuff. Um, but I think that that's part of it too is like, again, back to your point is like, if you, if this is your floor for weirdness like what's the ceiling and in a sense that's what this show pushes like it it just pushes at that like what's the ceiling of what we can do and yet so much of what they do these first two seasons is really just kind of standard sitcom fare it's just we're getting to know these characters they're getting to know each other you know they're figuring out what their kind of interpersonal and like group dynamics are They don't get into like crazy antics in the way that they will once we're all familiar with everybody. Yeah. And and no, it's so true because it really is, again, a lot about the character development in ways where you do have these sort of self-contained episodes. Like, for instance, the general plot of this particular episode, Spanish 101, is they have to do in pairs a brief presentation to the rest of the class in which they you know, use a certain number of phrases like from a list. And we all had to do this in language class in high school, college, whatever, where it's just like, hi, how are you? My name is this. What's the weather like outside today? Mm -hmm. It's warm. You know what I mean? And it's like these terribly like contrived conversations just to like tick these boxes. Yeah, yeah. like I know basic (laughs) conversational, like for me, it was French. So I took French classes or whatever. But in the way community does, it... (laughs) It builds up to this beautiful crescendo um, of just like awkwardness, controversy. <laughs> it's like all these things. But in a sense, it's just like the point of the show is like who in the group is going to be paired up and who's going to do the presentation. And one of the things that allows the show to do then is ways that Jeff Winger can contrive to be Britta's partner and the way Britta mm-hmm. can contrive to not be his partner and the way Pierce can contrive to be Jeff's partner. I felt like in this episode, we really got some character development with the three of them. 
Yeah. And one of them I wanted to talk about, because this is always interesting. We talked about this the last episode, is Britta Perry season one, episode two. Yeah, I don't know. Did you have any thoughts about kind of where Brit is at in this episode? So um, I think that even in this second episode, Britta is already moving away from the like pixie dream girl track. Yep. And is more like a, a real character. I really like that we kind of see her fail right away with activism, her passion. Hmm. Um, hmm. <laughs> in, in most other shows, you'd kind of expect to see her be kind of like an activisty character for several episodes and then maybe eventually realize that she hasn't made any real change. But she makes that realization on screen in like about 15 <laughs> seconds. So we already like she's delivered as a broken character to us. Like we don't see her, you know, get there. We see her when she's just arrived um, and has just started to realize it. And I think that that's a really interesting character to have on your show is someone who kind of wants to be radical and just can't really make it happen, but still feels like they're authentic in a way that Annie and Shirley can't be, even though Annie and Shirley are actually being very true to who they are and really expressing exactly what they feel about this cause. Um, but in Britta's eyes, that's really inauthentic because it's just not the right flavor of protest. And okay, to, to be fair too, like what Annie and Shirley organize, <laughs> like a glittery, glittery like bake sale, with banners and a pinata of a reporter who was beaten to death. Like it is terrible, but it is also exactly where they're at. <laughs> to, to quote Annie, we can have a candlelight vigil like lesbians have on the news. <laughs> I believe was, was her pitch to Shirley, to Shirley and Britta. Um, but no, Sandy, I gotta say that's, that's a great breakdown of this. And, that was something that you had mentioned, I think, in our last episode was this, you kind of get pitched Britta as this like pixie dream girl, but then you start to see the brokenness a little bit. Mm -hmm. But then in this episode, it's, as you say, like a very on screen moment. And it's true. You, you can see her realize it. You could see her realize it. And I think you're right. I hadn't thought about this, but that's a great point. In other shows, you would get five or six episodes where there'd be these illusions or there'd be these like, I, I don't know, something. It'd be like the way the mm -hmm. character was developed, like t-shirts or music they listen to. And they'd be like, oh, they're an activist. And then eventually there'd be like this massive fail mm -hmm. or it really just comes to light. Whereas this is again, right away, season one, episode two, within the 22 and a half minutes or whatever this, you know, yeah. this sitcom is where you see her, admonish Shirley and Annie for their wanting to take up a cause. But as you say, Annie and Shirley actually do the activism, misguided though it may be, <laughs> yeah. um, but they do the activism mm -hmm. and Britta sort of critiques it from her like, oh, but that's not the real activism. But then immediately realizes in this, at least by the end of the show, like, oh, I've actually never been an activist. And mm -hmm. it is it's interesting that it all happens in this one episode, especially because there's the two parallel plot lines. There's this plot line and then there's the Spanish class presentation or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, 
I have to believe that amongst Dan Harmon or the writers, this was definitely something that somebody wanted to get off their chest. You know, <laughs> this is like a, you could, this is like real people being like, you know what, we should do an episode where phony activists are just called out for being phony activists or whatever. Yeah. And it is like, it is true. Like Britta, Annie and Shirley go to her because they're like, oh, you're an activist because you've presented yourself that way. But yes like rubber doesn't meet the road there you know it's just immediately like yeah no I'm really not oh also though I have to point out that um the character who was assassinated for being like a free-thinking journalist I believe he's Guatemalan correct Yes. That's okay, because at the protest, they start chanting, we hate Guatemala. Yes. Which is also, <laughs> like, so, such, such a great part of this. I mean, not hating Guatemala, but, like, the fact they're chanting this, because it just shows, like, how naive they are. Because normally you would be showing solidarity with the Guatemalan people and their freedom of expression or freedom of the press. <laughs> they're chanting, we hate Guatemala. And yeah. <laughs> just like we hate this entire country. We're just done with it. But um yeah, like what a dark moment when you find out that Chicada Panecos has been beaten to death and they, <laughs> they make this piñata and they <laughs> but they're like so like yeah, we thought it was like really poignant, you know. Yeah. And it's just like no, that's terrible. Oh my goodness. Oh. <laughs> But there's something too, and they do a really good job of balancing this throughout the show. Even when like on paper, the actions that these characters are doing are, are ridiculous. It feels real. Like it feels like what these people would do in this situation. Yeah, that's the thing that I love about this show too. It all seems so genuine. So back to your point earlier, like this is what Shirley and Annie, like they're real about this and this is what yeah. they want to do. And this is how they're exploring it. And in a way, it just calls out Britta's hypocrisy that it's like, but you're you're not really doing this. You know, you're mm -hmm. critiquing how it should be done, but knowing that you've never actually really <laughs> participated in these kinds of things. So I just keep laughing because those those protest scenes are just <laughs> I mean, the pinata and we hate Guatemala and like even the t-shirts they have with like this person's yes. face on it. <laughs> So, uh, and they end up making the paper, you know, but it's not because of the protest. It's because Pierce lights himself <laughs> on fire from one of the candles. I mean, even that, it's just like, hey, because Annie and Shirley say something like, but at least we're in the paper or whatever. Yes, like we're raising awareness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We made it in. We got yeah. a byline, except we're just a footnote to this article about some crazy old man who accidentally set himself on fire <laughs> or whatever. Um, which is also hilarious because somebody in the background when he's on fire, when Pierce's arm is on fire and he's trying to get it out, so you can hear like one of the background voices say, somebody call 911. Yeah. And it's just one of those hilarious moments in any show or film when you get the like, real sort of like off camera <laughs> like somebody yelling right. something that you could really see happening in a moment like this yeah it's, 
It's also profoundly funny to me whenever in a movie or film someone says, somebody call 911, because the first question I always have is, why didn't you just call 911? Like, if you thought you needed to call emergency services, why would you yell at someone else to do it? Just just call the ambulance. <laughs> so that, even in real life, like... But you... those, those little reality checks do um, set off the the zaniness in a really funny way no they really do and it is it's there's something also like classically comedic about that you know there's something like mm-hmm. very old school that's very familiar another moment that this just occurred to me in the show that has these these um classic like sitcom homages when jeff comes into the study room at the beginning he gets cheered in like the yeah. the rest of the characters like yeah winger or whatever and kind of like get hype for him and i wrote that down i'm like oh jeff gets like the classic like cheered in entrance of a character and to think about sort of iconic moments of that from like american sitcom history mm-hmm. uh in terms of live audiences Obviously, when Kramer comes in, he gets like a cheer from the actual live audience when he does his like bust through Jerry's door, whatever. But then it also reminded me of Cheers. Like when Mm -hmm. Norm walks into the bar, the people in the bar are like, Norm or whatever. You know, there was something so uh, in both those moments, the somebody called 911 and like Jeff getting cheered into the room. There's, I don't know, I kind of geek out on those. I love those like classic sitcom homages or whatever. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that, but it's so true. The other thing that I think too is it almost in a way, it's part of that meta commentary and that like constant like homages and allusions to other shows. But I think it's part to go back to your point of what gives this show the leeway to then like get crazy. They sort of earn their geek card. You know what I mean? They're Mm -hmm. like, no, trust us. We know comedy. We know this pop culture stuff. We know these references. And it's mm-hmm. like they're earning your trust that like, but tr- like now that, you know, we've established like our street cred in this way, we can just start getting batshit basically at some point. Well, and that's a really interesting way to describe it because it's, it's like an education, right? Like they're proving, you know, they're testing out of remedial sitcom that they don't have to go oh, through those nice. steps with us where we're all going to start on the advanced track and that's our floor. And then we're going to get real weird with it as we go. I love that. It's true. It just, I hadn't thought about that, but that's so well put. It fits into so many of these, just honestly, at times, the perfection of this show. Um, Like, for instance, titling episodes with something that kind of sounds like the title of a class you would take in college. But you're exactly right. In this way, it's like they're testing out of like remedial sitcom. Like, even though the name of this particular episode is Spanish 101, they're saying to you, Dan Harmon, the writers, they're saying like, yeah, this is way beyond sitcom 101, though. Mm -hmm. And to go back to your point of like, this show was allowed to be weird early. It's true. Like, this is already at like an advanced you know sort of play on your metaphor like an advanced undergraduate or graduate level course in terms of sitcom like homage or pop culture homage and reference and illusion and self-awareness and meta I mean it is it's just like this is advanced but I do love that sometimes they just do that sort of 
classic stuff to just like mm-hmm. establish their cred with you you know like a, a character is going to come in everybody will get rowdy for him you know <laughs> it's just like that's so classic well and it's familiar and, it, and it's likable it is likable it's funny and there's a likability to these characters mm-hmm. you know that's it's um I think it's a show that we can fairly say has a cult following. Like, I think it works yeah. for some people. It doesn't. But I think those of us that really love it, I think it's because it was easy to watch from the beginning. You know, I think mm-hmm. because you see how smart it is, but also how layered it is. I mean, it's a deeply layered show. Um, yeah, you get new stuff when you go back to it and, and rewatch. I mean, watching it now to discuss it with you. And I think I mentioned this in our previous episode and like taking no, like you, it's just makes you love it that much more. Cause when you're mm-hmm. watching it, like being like, Oh, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about that. Suddenly you're like, Hey, there's too much stuff for us to cover. I mean, I know we won't get to everything, you know, today we didn't in the first episode, there's so much to discuss. They get a lot done. They in get 22 a lot. minutes. they get a lot done and again to your point earlier about this being on like a major station this was like a commercial interrupted part of like you know a night of sitcoms on a major station nbc this is 22 and a half minutes this Mm -hmm. isn't like 35 minutes and they can you know cuss and do whatever they want on like hbo or whatever like i mean this is like they got to play within the rules and yet those rules are constantly constantly getting well, they just get kind of like warped yeah that's a great way to put it because i don't even know if they're broken they just yeah. warp them in such a way where it's like can you really be upset because this was all like a very self-aware way of saying that one of these characters is a jerk you know what i mean right um another little kind of funny character moment with the uh with the protest is Shirley says she's gonna make brownies <laughs> yeah which becomes like sort of a shtick for her that's true we get shirley as baker starting in episode two shirley as a baker and as this sort of maternal figure but Mm -hmm. also someone who feels like she sacrificed her life to a marriage and kids to motherhood Mm -hmm. and part of her coming back to community college is because she wants to start her own business is she pitches an idea to start like uh, i think it's a a brownie business Mm -hmm. right it's an offhanded comment, seemingly. She's like, oh, I'll make brownies. And you're just like, oh, this this person's silly. She doesn't get that, like, this kind of activism is serious or whatever. You know, you're yeah. talking about someone who's been murdered. Like, you don't bring brownies. But it's actually a lot more than that. It's an early setup of, like, not just that this will be kind of a shtick for Shirley to be the person who bakes or thinks baking can, like, help whatever like you know smooth some things over or like get some people past some drama it's actually like part of the reason she's here so back to your point earlier where you get the sense that dan Harmon and the writers really had a specific vision about what every what brought everybody or brings everybody to this spanish study group or to this community college you Mm -hmm. see that here with shirley that like she has a she wants to like own her own business and she loves to bake and she loves to cook and that's going to be part of what she's exploring here at, at, at greendale yeah for sure um also i don't know if you if there was anything else you you had in the way of brita or the rally or whatever feel feel free to share but I think the other main part of the show is the is the Spanish class presentation. Which we have to talk time. about the presentation. <laughs> so in this Spanish class and Chang's Spanish class, you have to pair up. Jeff contrives to team up with 
Britta. It involves switching shirts with Abed. Yeah, that's Abed's, Abed's bribe for, <laughs> yeah. for switching partners. <laughs> Switch the shirt right now. Um, and doesn't he say something like, oh, I've been, I've been like, think, or something about like, I've had my eye on that shirt since last week or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he's wanted this shirt for a while, which... <laughs> Is very true to Abed's character. <laughs> because like in theory, you know, they've only known each other for a couple days or a week or two yep. or whatever. He's like, no, no, I've been wanting that shirt. So this is a perfect opportunity for me to treat yep. you a shirt in class. But as Jeff is contriving with Abed to get the card that will match with Britta, Britta has contrived or rather Pierce has contrived with Britta to change because mm -hmm. Pierce wants to be with Jeff. And so here again, you see this early emergence of this character, Pierce's longing to be recognized and appreciated by Jeff, who he often says like, oh, I see like, I see some of like myself in you or I see like a young yes. me in you or whatever. Which is the um, last thing Jeff wants to hear. The last thing he wants to hear but um, you start to get some of the emotional depth of Pierce here. It's not always presented in how he says things, but it's presented almost in terms of like what he's sort of going through being this guy in his 60s hanging out with all these 20-year-olds at this community college. And with Pierce, I feel like you get these moments of real clarity where Pierce comes out and says things that other people wouldn't. Like there's a point at which Pierce and Jeff are having this kind of tug of war where Jeff wants to do the minimum work required and Pierce wants to use this as an opportunity to create a friendship. And so, you know, Jeff is of course trying to pull away. And there's a point during the struggle where Pierce says like, what am I, a piece of garbage to you? Yeah. And yeah, that is how Jeff was treating him. And it's not something that most people would say, but Pierce often really comes through with these really clear and honest uh, observations of what the characters are doing and um, is not afraid of offending people by calling them out that way. And it just, it's one of those things that makes the Pierce character really interesting. Like I love how Pierce functions as kind of the monkey wrench of this show where he just like gets thrown into gears, then changes things for these characters in ways that are like frustrating and entertaining, like, like he's doing here where he's kind of manipulating like who's going to be his partner. No, but so yeah, true. Pierce, is, Pierce is just one of my favorite, my favorite characters of this show. Uh, no, it's so true. I hadn't thought about that, but now like I'm getting these sort of like vague recollections of other shows later in the series where Pierce will kind of drop a little bomb of like real yeah. honesty where it's just like, and it is partly from his perspective and you get the sense that that's how the character is being written and developed is like, yeah, sometimes we, you know, we just give the back of our hand or we write off these elderly people that seem out of place or like they just are cantankerous and or just have unfortunate worldviews or something like that. But it seems to be part of the character that it's like, yeah, that's true. He's like kind of an awful person with his racism, his sexism mm -hmm. or whatever. Not kind of, he is an awful person, but he's also kind of wise not maybe in mm -hmm. those social ways or cultural ways, but just in the basic sense of life experience. He's just mm -hmm. older and wiser than the other characters. But no, I love the way you put that because it, it is, it's so true. It's like he does occasionally, even as a foil to Jeff and Jeff's kind of pretension and like self-serving approach to these things, 
He sometimes just drops a little nugget of general wisdom. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the commentary here, now that you say that, I'd forgotten about that line, but now that I hear you talk about it, maybe that is sort of like, why do young people just treat old people like garbage? You know, you just see them as old and in the way and not real hip to like, whatever. But these are real people that have experience and have mm -hmm. thoughts and emotions. And yes, granted, this character is flawed because a lot of what he expresses his thoughts and emotions are of various uh, categories of isms that, you know. Yeah. Like he, he may be wise. He may be caring. He's not good. He's never good. That's the thing too, is there's like a real ethical thing with Pierce that is interesting to me. You're, he's not yeah. a good character. He's not supposed to be a role model. Oh, for like, sure. No. He's flawed and he's a bad person. But he still has this like this just this experience and this sort of wisdom where sometimes he can just say, yeah, but check this out, young person. You're just kind of full of your own shit. And here's the reason why. Um, yeah. and, and now that I think about it, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that does kind of become more part of the show, I think, as it goes mm -hmm. on. Now, in some ways, he becomes crazier and more offensive. And yes. as all these characters, though, I mean, here's a question. Do you think in a way like all these characters are sort of like two sides of a coin. And in a way, all these characters extremes sort of get pushed. Like as the show goes on in a, mm. you know what I mean? You sort of get these dichotomies with these characters. They go do ahead, actually change as characters throughout the show. That's what's great about it. But now that I'm thinking about it in some ways, the characters almost Maybe not all of them, but some of them, I think, really do kind of you see the extremes of their character getting pushed and pushed further and further, if that makes sense. So I guess what I was thinking with Pierce is like some of his prejudices and ignorances sort of get exacerbated or like exaggerated, but also then part of his like tenderness for the other characters and his obvious deep need to belong uh, there's an episode, I can't remember if it's in episode or season two or three, we'll talk about where Pierce is in the hospital and for these very reasons, because he needs to feel like validated or whatever. <laughs> but I think with Jeff, it's the same. I mean, in one way, his like narcissism and sort of self-adulation or whatever, admiration, sorry, like become ex accentuated, but also mm. the same with him, like his need to be loved and belong you see that like each character sort of has these two sides to them and it gets developed in a way where some of those edges get pushed. Mm -hmm. Maybe I said extremes earlier. That might be extreme itself. Maybe it's too strong of a word, but does that make sense? Those edges kind of get pushed further and further out and less smooth. They get kind of jagged in certain places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's an interesting way to put it. So <laughs> as you said, in developing this presentation, Jeff just wants to like go to the rally, go find Britta, hit on Britta. Pierce mm -hmm. is like, no, let's drink a bottle of scotch or what he calls Hemingway's lemonade. <laughs> um, let's drink this, <laughs> let's drink this <laughs> bottle of scotch. Oh, this is classic. He makes a toast to the empowerage of words, <laughs> at which point Jeff Jeff's toast to the irony of that sentence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, but uh, but so Jeff just wants to get it done. Pierce sees this, as you said, as an opportunity to like create something. He has this mm -hmm. vision. 
And so this is one of the first moments where they do like an all nighter in the study room or whatever. Like there, it's like the classic crumpling up the paper, throwing it in the trash can. And what ends up happening and we only see snippets of it in a montage, which is great. But you get the sense that Pierce and Jeff do like a half hour long presentation, which, by the way, doesn't use any of the phrases they're supposed to use. And you sort of assume isn't using anything like, you know, correct or actual Spanish. But it does use like marionettes, um, robot costumes, um, like a minstrel uh, get up at one point. Yes. At my, mm. <laughs> my favorite part of the montage is when they've kind of created like a boat out of two desks and they're kind of, they're perched up on these desks, like paddling and they've kidnapped Annie <laughs> who's in between them just in tears. Like when will this end? <laughs> I wrote that part down too. That's so good. But yes, you're right. The, the presentation takes up different genres, different historical periods, different costumes, different yeah. stagings. It's like clearly this elaborate thing. And we should also say part of it is Jeff was going to bail and not do it and leave Pierce kind of hung out to dry. And Pierce was going to do it himself. And this also becomes part of the show. For better or for worse, they become such a family and such a tight-knit group that they are willing to make these sacrifices for one another, even when yeah. it ostracizes their group from the rest of the school. And here you have that in so far as, you know, Jeff was just going to like not do it and what get a failing grade or whatever it was. And Pierce decide, you know, just is going to do it on his own. And then Jeff's mm -hmm. like, no, man, I like, I, I got you. I'll, you know, I'll come up there and do it with you. <laughs> Even though it ends up going some places that no rational person would want to present no. like to a group, like you said, the, the minstrel sequence. So just to um, not to offend anyone, but just to sort of paint the picture, there's a sequence in this, uh, in this montage where they're both wearing Afro wigs and white gloves. So it's clearly inappropriate. But what's interesting, I think, in the way they film it, is that after Jeff and, and um, Pierce are doing this, this sort of minstrel thing, this like offensive thing, they show Troy and Shirley's faces, the two black characters' faces, and both of them are just clearly shocked and offended. And mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you about that because this is one of the things I struggle with with this show. I never know how to take these moments because I didn't think it was funny. I'm like, oh my God. And it, watching it now, I was like, oh my God, I can't, I didn't remember they did this. Like, I can't believe they did this. Why do I like this show? But then immediately... <laughs> The two black characters are shown with an expression that is clearly saying there's nothing funny about this and this is not cool at all. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just wonder what some of the like commentary is there, how you feel about that. Because it's one of those things is like a white person of a certain age watching. I'm, it makes me uncomfortable. I'm like, oh, my God, I like this show, but I think the show is like racist. But then you're like, oh, no, I think this show is trying to say there's some dumbass ignorant people out there 
and we need to let them know that like this shit isn't cool you know like does that make sense i don't know i, I this show has a way of doing that to me sometimes where i'm like oh, i don't know if i'm comfortable with the way it's crossing this line but it seems to be crossing it in a way that is saying this is bad yeah i think they they do a pretty good job of always kind of calling that stuff out in a way in the show, like other characters calling it out, you know, within the, the fiction of this world, it's kind of creating extra work for those characters that like Troy and Shirley mm. have to be the ones to kind of put up guardrails and comment on it. But also like, again, it feels like what these characters would do in this situation. I don't know about what to say about the writer's decision to put them in these situations yeah, all yeah. the time. Um, but like it is very believable that Pierce would say racist things and it's very believable that everybody else would admonish him for it. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's just, the, I think that's a good way to, to think about it is like it, it's, it falls in line with these characters that Pierce would do this and that everyone else would sort of look at him like, no dude, like not, mm -hmm cool at all you know but then I guess like where I struggle is that there's still though that imagery that is offensive mm -hmm. in two white characters you know dressing and acting this way I mean it's um I don't know it's like one of those things where when I watched it again I'm laughing not at that but other things before it other things after it and there's that part of you that's like but maybe I shouldn't laugh at any of this like maybe this is just bad and yet I trust that the show is using Pierce in a way to demonstrate the kind of old ignorant white guy who owns his own business and is self-made has sort of lost his place you know <laughs> like it's yeah you don't get to say these things and be this person just because you were like a self-made mogul of <laughs> moist towelettes <laughs> or whatever the Hawthorne wipes is, is his business for in case people are wondering but that's not the only thing there's also a moment when they're side by side waving a Palestinian and an, uh, and an Israeli flag yes. I mean, there's many, and the sense you get from the sequence you talked about with Annie is that maybe there's a reference to like indigenous peoples or yes. that she's been They've captured. They've put some kind of feathered headband on her. Yeah, and also that she's maybe been captured in a way where you can't imagine mm -hmm. this going well for her. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but the humor in that particular sequence is Alison Brie's fa the her face and the way she is <laughs> like actually crying as she's been in, incorporated to this bizarre presentation is like she is pitch deaf. perfect pitch and she perfect. also like looking back at these early episodes she looks believably 19. Like Alison Brie looks like she got her braces off yesterday and then started filming. She's one of those people that has just an eternally young or younger than she is look, I think. I think she's just someone who looks younger than she is. But I want to say she was like in her mid to late 20s when she was filming this. So she was maybe like 26, 27 or something. But oh, she's she, pulling it off. Yeah, but she does look... Her and Abed look very sort of young to me, which which fits though that you get that whether it's in real life the age difference or the or the way the characters look and present it it helps with the diversity 
because that's another aspect of the diversity of this cast that we don't maybe talk about sometimes, but is the age diversity and just sort of walk of life diversity or whatever. But (laughs) there's other moments in this, in this sequence that made me laugh out loud. So Troy and Shirley's reaction to the Mm -hmm. sequence we mentioned earlier, their faces just in terms of characters and acting made me laugh. Mm-hmm. especially Shirley she's just like shaking it off just like <laughs> no <laughs> like not amused and she is a great face actor Shirley she really um, they all are but yeah yeah she makes great faces there is then the sequence with Annie crying but there's also Abed does a silent nod in one point where and it's like in slow-mo and he's just like silently like deadpan face just nodding as if he's the one person in the room. He's that following gets. it. Yeah, he yeah. follows it. Doesn't necessarily mean he likes it or approves, but Abed's like, no, I get what they're doing. Yeah, I got it. I see, well, I see how you got to the robots after like this sequence or whatever. And like an Abed's uh, Abed's kind of nod also gets at so while they're doing this presentation you don't hear any of what they're saying because it's a a montage with kind of like a slow kind of like singer songwriter song playing over all of it and you can tell that the show kind of starts to play with your expectations that in some fictions the audience would somehow be moved by this weird expression and kind of come around and accept it and find it deep and interesting and um some of the like reaction shots from the cast are showing that like yes we acknowledge that that is the way this could play out however they then crash land it where at once the music stops and kind of real time starts again you see that absolutely no one has approved of any portion of this presentation nor did they find it entertaining it's so true. So you get the Abed silent nod and um, Chang at one point is sort of, he's got like his hand on his chin or, you know, yeah, like, he's doing like of, a thoughtful, he pose. has like a real contemplative, yeah. he's sort of like not, you know, kind of nodding or sort of just like watching it. But it's so true. They present it in a way where you're like, some of these characters suggest that the class may come around at the mm-hmm. end, but when they end, the presentation, first of all, they've got live sparklers in their hand, like inside a classroom. They're just standing there like akimbo with like the, you know, yeah, with the like, with the live sparklers. And Jeff and Pierce both look like so just like exhilarated and exhausted. And like they've achieved, you know, they just look so like, yes, we did it. We pulled it off. And the only reaction is Abed claps. <laughs> gives him some hype (laughs) just like appreciated the creativity (laughs) or something but you're right what you finally realize in the end or what is revealed is that everyone just thought it was the dumbest most unnecessary offensive thing and then Abed (laughs) just claps it out you know um and then Abed respects the effort I think (laughs) that's yeah that's what I should say that's thank you well put Abed respects the effort and the attempt at being creative. But I also think it speaks a little bit to his character that maybe he didn't pick up on some of the cultural and socially offensive aspects to it. You know what I mean? Because he- Or that he picks up on it, but it doesn't wound him in any way because he's kind of out of reach. Yes, no, b- very well said, better said. Yeah, it's it's not that he doesn't pick up on it, but it just doesn't have an emotional effect on him. Yeah. Because 
he has a very sort of low emotional range at this point of the show and for much of the show like right it's just not Mm -hmm. I mean that's part well I should say that is who he is is he has a hard time having emotionally appropriate reactions to things Mm -hmm. um but oh man yeah it ends with the sparklers and the one thing that I think whenever I see this episode is I just wish that they have somewhere in the can like the actual (laughs) full sequence of this presentation like I hope it gets dropped (laughs) like 10 years from now like here's the 17 minute sequence of these two actors just actually doing this thing or even like one of the writer's notes on here's why they go from this sequence to like robot suits you know (laughs) Like, did someone actually have an idea or was it just like a hodgepodge of this stuff? Oh, one other thing I did want to mention. There is a particular character that shows up in the Spanish class who ends up having kind of a interesting, you know, sort of storyline throughout the show. Um, do you remember who it was? There's one is particular- Starburns? Starburns, man. <laughs> Starburns gets called out uh, by Chang, I think, in the first class. Yeah, with the, yeah. the starship. And he he turns his head to make sure that the camera can see both sideburns. <laughs> That's right. Every he does, he does like a you know he's supposed to be like looking around the class, but yeah, it's very like make sure it's clear why this guy's name is Starburns. <laughs> oh my god, That's amazing. Which is also like so part of the college experience, right? Like my group of friends had classes with one super annoying classmate and we made up a mean nickname for him. I have no idea what his real name was. And we've since talked to other classmates who had their own nicknames for the same guy. <laughs> oh, so it's the same person, but different nicknames? Yes. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, there was a guy... Um, his name was Dave. I called him Tweaky Dave because he was always kind of <laughs> tweaking. And at one point we were like outside somewhere. It was like a nice day. This is when I was in college or whatever. And we were outside and you know, there's like people on blankets and like playing Frisbee or whatever, you know, probably having a drink or whatever, like on the, on the sly. Yeah. And I think because maybe I wasn't completely sober, I said something like, Hey, it's Tweaky Dave. And I just yelled <laughs> it like really loud. And so many people were like, Kroll, no dude, no. And he heard it and gave a look like, like, do you guys call me Tweaky Dave? You know what I mean? Like, it was Aww. definitely like, he was like, oh, really? Like, that's what you guys call me? It was kind of an awkward moment. And it, yeah, was it was like, a fat Neil moment. It was. It was, it was a fat Neil moment. Um, obviously referencing a character that'll come up later in the show. But yeah, so I've had those moments too. And that is such a college thing. You make up like nicknames for people or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and in this instance, though, it's... <laughs> It's just like, literally, the man has star-shaped sideburns. <laughs> and I think it's always funny to me with that it's never clear if this is how his facial hair grows naturally or they want it to be <laughs> like, no, he takes the time to chisel out the star shape. I uh, assumed that he took the time to do it, but I've got no proof for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, it's, I feel like it's an intentional ambiguity, you know, like you sort of assume, <laughs> but it's like, I don't know. I mean, there's other weird stuff that happens in this show. Oh, and then one other thing that we see at the end that becomes a, a big deal later on is we get an outgoing credit sequence with Troy and Abed. 
Dude, I was just going to say um, the last sort of like, you know, real community-ish thing like that you get in this show that really defines this show is it's the first time, like the same way it was the first time you had the um, theme song intro. This is the mm -hmm. first Troy and Abed coda. Mm -hmm. And it's hilarious because they're beatboxing and doing like a gibberish Spanish rap as they're sitting on a couch in the study room and they give you the subtitles, which are like, obviously nonsense. just make sure. Yeah. It's like, it's absolute nonsense. Mm -hmm. Troy and Abed do another musical sequence for a Christmas episode, a couple seasons later. That is oh. genius to me. That is just absolutely perfect. And there is always this sort of like, the characters do musical stuff. We'll talk about it when we get to yeah. those episodes. There's like these musical things that happen with the characters. But also it's funny to me because eventually Troy, Donald Glover, leaves the show in real life in part mm -hmm. to pursue his career as a rapper, but also other, doing other shows like mm -hmm. Atlanta, you know, pursuing other creative stuff. But very much a part of that is his persona, his onstage persona is Childish Gambino. Yeah. So it's like, it's it's already kind of meta there too, but it's also just funny because at the end, Abed's is like, it's 2009. So yeah. for any like classic hip hop geeks, it's one thing to hear like a hip hop song where somebody says like, it's 1994. Cause that says a lot. <laughs> That's like the pure, like heart of classic hip hop era or whatever. <laughs> Someone says it's 2009. It's just, it's just like too ironic. It's like, yeah, that doesn't work the same way, but it's funny. Cause obviously he's referencing that, but I just thought yeah. that was funny to like, it's 2009 it's not even like a cool number to say no but i i like to imagine that they started doing these troy and abed codas because like this is just what donald glover and danny pudi were doing off camera when they weren't in a scene nice yeah yeah that's, yeah. that's part of my my fiction <laughs> of how the show was made no i love that though because you could see the two of them through like getting to know each other as characters and as like actors yeah, like kind of just riffing on this stuff mm -hmm. and somebody like Dan Harmon being like oh I love that I love that like let's go with that you know what mm -hmm. I mean and eventually this will become their morning talk show which we'll talk about when that when that yeah actually comes up is there anything is there anything else that you that kind of struck you from this episode I think we've covered everything. There, like there are so many small things that end up being part of the permanent fabric of the show. It's just wild that they got so much of it done so soon. So much. Can I mention actually one of those things now that I just had a quick glance at my notes? Yeah. In the, on the green chalkboard in the background when Jeff in the study room, and you see it especially when Jeff and um, Pierce are doing their whatever, doing their work, there's like some message written in mm -hmm. chalk on the green chalkboard. And that becomes a thing because mm -hmm. posters in the background or like campus events being advertised in the background or classes like become part of the like Easter eggy fabric. I will admit as a viewer, like that's never something I really pay attention to. But as you had just mentioned so much, so many things become a real part of the fabric of the show. I noticed that this time, like, oh, there's something yeah. written on the chalkboard. And I think you're supposed to pay attention to that as the series goes on. Cause I think sometimes there's probably like ridiculous stuff written on the chalkboard maybe. Um, well, they're, like while Jeff and Pierce are doing their kind of prep work for this insane 
spectacle that they end up doing. <laughs> you can see what are supposed to be like Pierce's notes on the chalkboard that are kind of like legitimately interesting. Like it looks like he's drawn some kind of Venn diagram and then made a bunch of notations. Like there's like um, Muslims is on the board somewhere. And then on another point in the Venn diagram, there's also forgiveness question mark or something like that. So, <laughs> um, too good there is some actual substance to some of the background stuff <laughs> it's that's true that's true and i forgot that he's then i think maybe that's why i noticed it is earlier there was just some innocuous like announcement on it but then he mm -hmm. takes it over also another thing i wanted to mention real quick the song in the background when they're doing their presentation mm -hmm. um is amy mann's wise up and for anybody out there who knows Amy Mann, you're, you're right. She's like a singer songwriter, but like a, if you ever listen to Amy Mann's music, there's a real emotional quality to some of it. And sometimes not even in terms of like the explicitness of the lyrics, but she has like a texture to her voice that can be really emotional. So it also just, <laughs> it just cracks me up the way they put it in the background because it's like such an emotional brooding song it is juxtaposed to these like ridiculous and at times offensive images it's like one again one of those perfectly community things where they just get that texture that juxtaposition in a way that um i'm not gonna say no other shit but they they get it in a way that really works for this show yeah all right. I mean, I guess that's it for me. We'll wrap it up here. But Sandy, thanks for talking about this stuff. Thanks for all of your insights, as as always. Um, it just continues to make the show that much more enjoyable for me to watch and to look for things, knowing that we can talk about this stuff and just... Yeah. And talking about it with someone else, it brings up things that I never would have been kind of conscious of otherwise. That's what's great about it. I mean, there were things you mentioned today or ways you phrased things as with the, you know, the previous episode where I just thought, damn, that's so right on. And it is, it just, it's amazing the way it changes your perspective on the show and adds to your appreciation, but also just makes that, that much more clear how layered and complex the show is that you just can't mm -hmm. catch on to everything or every nuance or every aspect or every perspective, you know, there's so much going yeah. on and it helps to have two voices talking about this. Cause I think it does just point out like how you can see different things in the show or have, you know, different sort of viewpoints on those things. It also just like, it speaks to kind of part of the point of the show is that there are certain things that you kind of can't notice as an individual, but you know, as part of a conversation with somebody else, they become apparent. Well said. That's so true. And in a way, maybe that's kind of what we hope to parallel in the podcast. You're never going to notice everything or understand every perspective as an individual, but that's why you make yourself a part of a community and a close-knit yeah. group or a family is that you'll have other people. And hopefully if there's some diversity in that group of people that you surround yourself with, you'll be aware or made aware or see things from different perspectives that the limitation of the human brain and the human life, you know, like you're <laughs> never going to see all of these things. And that's why you, in a way you seek community or make yourself a part of a community, whether it's talking about the show community or your actual experience of the real world to sort of help you, you know, see around those corners that maybe you, you didn't see around at first.
Yeah. And kind of like as the characters show you too, you can be kind of snarky about pretty much everything in your life and still genuinely appreciate those personal relationships and get a little gushy about it sometimes. And that's okay. <laughs> it's true. It's true. We aren't there yet, but trust me, I will tell you about, I will, I think I mentioned it the last time, but we'll talk about my, uh, my teary night. <laughs> clutching a blanket putting myself to sleep after the last episode feeling like Aww. my friends were gone you know and yeah. I was never gonna see him again I, I do I get emotional when the show comes to an end because it's like oh man anyway all right well that wraps it up I guess for episode two of season one Spanish 101 thanks everybody for listening Sandy thanks so much you really uh, so many things you brought to light to me for this episode today I appreciate it oh thanks I had a great time all right I'm gonna stop Cool. Our theme music is Happy Dance by Cedric Galke. Please subscribe to Streets Behind wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>